So a couple weeks ago, Pastor um, Marty reached out to me and he asked me about preaching this week and he told me to look at my calendar and so it took me 15 seconds to respond back and said, are you crazy? Absolutely, I'll be there. I'm in this college thing, GCU, and I'm further in my education in the Bible, but they got me stuck in this class called Theology 2. And I thought that the title was boring until I started studying the actual text and the syllabus. And I thought, oh man, I'm in for a world of hurt for the next seven weeks. So a couple weeks ago, after a long day of studying and studying theology and the history, things I don't even care about, I am extremely mentally and physically exhausted. So I come home, Jennifer, who is not here this morning, but I did bring my main man, Pate. Come on, Pate. He said, Dad, don't make me stand up, but I'm not going to make him stand up. But this dude looks hot this morning. I I just want you to know that I bought everything he has on. Okay? I paid for the toothpaste. That's why his breath smells good. I paid for the gel. I paid for the haircut. I think his mom paid for the earring. I didn't do that. Okay, you can go now. He wants to go talk to his friend. You can go. Hey, he stood up. He's not going to come back with me next time. That's okay. I won't buy you any more shoes. So anyways, Jennifer's gone, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm tired, I'm just going to veg out and watch some Netflix. Anyone ever just veg out and watch Netflix? You're not too safe for Netflix, are you? And so I get home, and I get in the shower, and I lay back in the bed, and I go to turn Netflix on, and lo and behold, the internet's out. I'm like, hey, yo, it's, it's 2019. If the internet goes out, it should come right back on. In the internet, they're like, oh, it's going to be out for like three days. I'm like, what century are we in? Like, get the internet going. I mean, how do you expect us to live without internet? And so I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I, I'll solve this problem. I'll, I'll solve this obstacle and this distraction. And So I get my phone and I'm like, well, I have unlimited data. So I'll just link the computer to the phone. And then I got this adapter that I can plug the computer up to the TV and I will watch Netflix. You ain't going to stop me. You're not going to stop me from what I want to do. Well, so I I hook the phone up to the computer. I try to hook the computer up to the TV and the cord won't work. I'm like, that's okay. You know what? I'll take the computer. I'll set it on my chest. I'll get it real close to my face and it'll be like I'm watching a 70 inch TV. It doesn't even matter. You won't stop me. And then my connection just is not working. So I'm sitting here in the bed and I got this computer on my chest and I'm messing with this phone, trying to get technology to work in my favor. And I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he says, Hey, Hey, Stephen. I'm like, Hey, hey yeah, God, you want to watch Netflix? And he says, I want to speak to you about Pathway. And I said, well, okay, I'm listening. He said, I want you to preach about distraction. And I want the title of your message to be Undistracted by Distractions. Undistracted by Distractions. Just as a clause at the beginning of this sermon, I'm not preaching about sin this morning, okay? So don't think I'm trying to send anyone to hell. Everyone in the last service gets to go to heaven, and I believe everyone in this service gets to go to heaven. Amen? 
Come on, we're all going to heaven. However, there's this word called distractions. And just like that night, it was obstacles and distractions coming in every angle, trying to stop me from hearing what the Lord was really saying. Do you realize that we live in a world that is full of distractions and full of obstacles? That the enemy's plan is not necessarily to take you to hell. The enemy's plan is to distract you from the kingdom and the will of God and the fullness of God while you live on earth. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy with obstacles and distractions, but we have a good shepherd who gave his life that we can have life and life more abundantly right here. Whoo! I'm not waiting for heaven. I'm in heaven. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. The Bible says I've died to this thing, and now I set my mind on things above because I'm a citizen of heaven. But we live in this culture that distractions and obstacles are constantly thrown our way because it wants our attention and it wants our focus. Listen to this. Google is worth $400 billion. YouTube is worth $40 billion. Twitter is worth thirty. billion billion dollars. Facebook is worth 200 billion dollars. Instagram is worth a hundred billion dollars. And where do you think most of our distractions go? Right there. Right there. Not all, not all distractions are bad, but the moment that you're distracted from your wife, the moment you're distracted from your husband, the moment that your kids are being babysitted by fake news. Do you realize we live in a reality that they have distracted us with fake? They have this new invention. It's not new. They came up with it a couple of years ago. A virtual reality. You can pull it up on YouTube. And you can watch people that they put this mask over and they jump into a fake world. A fake world. Distractions are fake. Obstacles are fake. As real as they may seem, the only reality and the only truth that the church has is Jesus Christ and his living word. That is the only thing that will stand the test of time and is the only thing that deserves all of our attention. Distractions, obstacles, lobbying for our attention. Listen, listen, to the, listen to the word distraction. A thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. That's obvious, but listen, listen to this. This gets intense. Distractions, extreme agitation, disturbance of mind or emotions. Let me say that again. We good? The definition of distraction is extreme agitation, disturbance 
the mind and the emotions. How aggressive does distraction sound now? Who wants to be distracted and agitated in their soul? The Europeans, I promise you I'm gonna make this legal here in a minute. I have a text, okay? I'm just laying a foundation. We in church, I promise. The Europeans in the Middle Age, they were, they were famous for creating methods of torture. Sickening, but history. And one of the methods of torture is they would take four ropes and they would tie it around the hands and around the ankles. And they would take the other ends of the ropes and they would tie it to horses and they would divide the individual in four pieces, distracting their body. They titled this form of torture. Literally, you can look it up in history. And the title of this torture is called distraction. Therefore, death by distraction. Death by distraction. There's only two choices. It is either death by distraction or death to distractions. Church, we have a holy mandate today. Let me say, say this. We have a holy mandate, a holy word from the Father today to stop allowing distractions to disturb. Stop allowing distractions to kill, steal, and destroy destiny and purpose, hope and joy and promises, marriages and sons and daughters. We must stand up and release our distractions and say, give me Jesus. Distractions are going to come. Paul says, listen to this. I'm troubled on every side, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but not abandoned. And I'm struck down, but I am not destroyed. He's preaching the gospel that in the midst of distractions, God is faithful. And he always shows a way out. Let me say that again. That, ooh, that hit my spirit. God always shows a way out in distractions. No more suffering families. No more, no more children coming home trying to get the attention of their parents, but they are distracted. No more spouses trying to get the attention of their spouse, but they're distracted, making money, working extra hours, extracurricular activities. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about things that will send you to hell. I'm just talking about things that is causing families and churches to suffer. This is good preaching. I preached this the first service and I got a lot of affirmation from staff. So, hey, I'm good. I'm probably preaching a little more firmer now because I got so much affirmation. <laughs> hey, I love you. You know that. I'm just sick of the devil robbing us, man. I'm sick of divorces in the church. I'm sick of our kids living in the world, addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography and children being born out of wedlock. 
walk. Why? Because of distractions. But if we'll pull together, church, if we'll pull together in unity, putting our focus on one man, that is Jesus, we will put it in to the deadness in the church. Whoo! I think I'll dance. Listen, I came for war today. I came with war with a sword in my mouth to bring healing, life, and hope to families in the church. Woo! I'm not even to my text yet. <laughs> Collins, will you, read, will you read the text? Save my voice. Listen to Collins. Let's pull it up. Did you memorize it? No. Okay. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay, for, to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Time out. Look at that last line. Put it back up there. Your suffering is over. We got any people suffering this morning? Come on, raise your hand high if you're suffering this morning. Raise them so the family can see them. Look around, family. And the suffering was over. I asked God, I said, God, give me, give me a message in a divine word within the message. And this is what the divine word of the Lord was for Pathway. It's a new season. I said, that sounds cliche. He says, I know. I don't, I don't know why they did that, but it's the gospel. It's a new season for your life. I believe it's a new season for Pathway. I believe it's a new focus. Amen? God puts visions in us. He puts ambitions in us. And then distractions come and try to pull us away from the destiny and the purpose and the dream. But I believe that the Spirit of the Lord this morning is saying, I've come to realign the mind. I've come to realign the thoughts. I've come to realign the vision and the destiny and the purpose that I put inside of you. And today, the Spirit of the Lord is declaring, it's a new day of fresh revelation and deep roots. The suffering is over. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. 
While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. Mm. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Come on, Jesus. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, little girl, get up. Come on, speak that English. (laughs) Pray in tongues, Collins. Say it. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Okay. You're the man. I love you. You're not only a genius, you got a good voice to read. So we we got this story here full of distractions. And Jesus is going to show us how to handle distractions. And you know what the first thing Jesus does? First, first, let's, let's look where Jesus came from. Jesus just gets off a boat of casting out a legion of demons. Anyone know how many a legion is? 6,000. 6,000 demons living in a man and Jesus cast them out. What are you going to do if you cast 6,000 demons out? I'm going to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Hawaii, and I'm going to take a vacation because I just cast 6,000 demons out, and I deserve a break. You know how much work that is? And Jesus just does it like that. I told you to shut up. Now go. Can we go into the pigs? Yeah, go into the pigs. Not sure what they're doing with pigs anyways. They're probably Gentiles. Now, when Jesus is on the cross, he says that there's, there's 12 legions of angels. 12 legions of angels that are surrounded the throne room. And at any given time, remember, I have the power. No one takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it back up. I'm the king of kings. I'm the son of God. I do what I want to do. 12 legions, 72,000 angels. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. This is what Jesus has at his disposal. 100 and 72,000, and the power to cast out 6,000 demons. And yet, what is Jesus after? The one. Man, that's got to hit you right between the eyes. Jesus is still fascinated with the one. You know how Jesus removes distractions? 
This man comes up to him. His, his daughter is, is dying. My daughter is at home dying, Jesus. Could you imagine? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on because it's, it's taken me a while to get here. And she was barely hanging on. There's this crowd of people that is surrounding Jesus. He gets off the boat and there's people everywhere. And Jesus is not, he's not distracted. He's not distracted by the crowd. He doesn't even care about the crowd. They announce him, they say, Jairus, the leader of the local synagogue. What are they doing? They're trying to, trying to get him with a big name. And Jesus refuses to be distracted by the crowd. He refuses to be distracted by titles. You know why Jesus is not distracted by titles? Because there are no titles in the presence of God. There are no pastors. There's no millionaires. There's no teachers. There's no philosophies. There's no government. There's no, pre there's no preachers. There's no presidents. All there is is sons and daughters. Oh, yeah. And the moment, the moment that Jairus said, my daughter, Jesus said, whoo, there's my attention. He turned from the crowd. He turned from the distraction. Can you imagine everyone pressing on him and pushing on him? We get so distracted by Instagram. And how many likes we have and how many applause we get. And we pay attention to all the criticism that comes against us and comes against our dream. And you're doing this wrong. You're saying this wrong. And we allow criticism and we allow applause to mold us and shape us. It's a distraction. Be you. Whoo! We need a generation of you. Can I say that again? We, I feel this thing deep in my spirit this morning. We need a generation of you, not a generation that is imitating what the world is telling you you should be. Where are the undistracted ones? Where are the undistracted ones? Jesus, all he cares about is face to face. You know what's so beautiful about face-to-face? -face? There's no distractions. Hmm. Don't you, don't you remember getting your kids, parents? You know what I'm talking about. And he grabbed their face. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Listen to dad. No, 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 don't, 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 don't look at the TV. Listen, I have righteousness, peace, and joy for you. If I'm for you, no one can be against you. Great, greater am I that, that's in you than, than the world that's against you, son. Listen, I'm your savior. I, steer, I, I, I store up every tear. There, there's nothing in this world I want more than you. Oh, I know I got about 8 billion of them out there, but I hear you every time you call. 
He always handles distractions face to face, intimacy, relationship settles everything. The moment I know I'm a son, the moment you know you're a daughter is the moment that everything else fades away. You're like, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I don't care how much you like it. I don't care how much you dislike it. I am a son. I'm a daughter. I know some of you feel like running right now. I know I do. However, the storyline gets distracted. The scripture says that Jesus, Jesus is following this man. That's bizarre to me. A stranger comes up to him and says, hey, by the way, can you come with me to my house? Just like, yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> like, what? That's, there's some creepy people in the world. I'm like, I'll, yeah, Jesus bless him. Yeah, amen. Yeah, send the word. But Jesus, undistracted, says, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Let's, let's do this. However, this woman, the Bible doesn't even give her name, breaks on the scene. Now, remember the crowd that Jesus is in? I don't know how many people are there, but let's just look at the Bible. The Bible says in one place that Jesus told the disciples, he said, get me a boat ready because the crowd may crush me. Another place, Jesus says, hey, they, they tried to push me over the cliff, but I, I walked through the midst of them. In one crowd was 5,000 people plus women and children. In another crowd was 4,000 plus women and children. So when you think about a crowd, it, it's, it's not this right here. It's not 200 people in a congregation. It's mass confusion. Mass confusion of over 5,000, probably close to 10,000 people, thousands of people pushing at Jesus, pressing, trying to touch him. And this woman, the Bible says, look at your name and say, the Bible says. Come on, you got to say it, say it with that little growl like a Pentecost preacher. The Bible says. I dare some of you to wake up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror and say, the Bible says so. Go to your boss and say, the Bible says so. I should prosper. And the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Now give me my raise. That's crazy faith right there. I don't even advise you to do that. I was playing. <laughs> We're trying to build a new church out there in 259. We need your money. <laughs> I'm just playing, but we do. <laughs> okay, distracted. Hey, got distracted. I don't know how many times you've been distracted already, but I've been distracted about 20 times already in this sermon. Okay, so this woman... The Bible says, that's where I was at. The Bible says, for 12 years, think about this. 
for 12 long years. This woman is suffering from a constant issue of blood. Constant bleeding. That means that she's constantly feeling the affliction. She's constantly feeling the issue in her body. Because the moment that Jesus, she touches Jesus, she says that she felt in her body that she was made whole. How did she know? Because for 12 years, she could constantly feel it. Twelve years suffering. The Bible says that she spent all her money on doctors. But only got worse. So she's in a position where she's in hopelessness. She's in despair. Where she has nowhere else to turn. She's unclean. Leviticus tells us. Those who are unclean have to live outside the city. Most scholars say that she was probably married and she had a family. Think about this. Think about this. Let's get into the story. For 12 years, she had no emotional or physical connection with family or friends. No recitals, no football games, no, no dinner night, no intimacy with her husband, shame and guilt, because this is a righteous time. There is no grace. It's, it's, it's righteousness by works. She has to go into town and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because anyone that she touches or anyone that touches her is unclean and they have to go outside the city. So she knows within herself, I'm about to break the law. In order to be healed, I have to break the law. And then when she shows up, Jesus is with Jairus, the local leader of the synagogue. So who am I? Who am I that I should even be able to touch Jesus? However, this woman realized that there is no room for distractions. Look at your neighbor and say, no room for distractions. In the midst of distractions, she focused her attention in on Jesus. Pressing through the crowd of the thousands, anemic and weak in her body because of constant bleeding. And she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Do you know sometimes you're the best preacher you got? Let me say that again. Sometimes you need to square your shoulders back and preach to your emotions. 
Preach to your distractions. Preach to the lies. Preach to the fear. Preach to the insecurity. Preach to the rejection. Preach to every distraction the enemy throws at you and say, if I can just touch the master, I know, I know, I know I'll be made whole. She preached to herself and closed out the distractions and laid hold. She laid hold on her miracle. And Jesus, hey man, I I am Pentecost to the bone, okay? I, I make no apologies. It's like fire shut up in my bones right now. And Jesus turns his focus to the woman with the issue of blood that no one even knows her name. She went from being at the back of the line. The Bible says that she came up behind him and touched him. However, the moment she touched him, she became at the front of the line because at Jesus, it says that Jesus turned around. He always turns to relationship. He always turns to his children. And I love what Jesus says. He says, who touched me? And he ignores his disciples. His disciples are like, Jesus, come on, really? Like everyone's touching you. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. <laughs> and he ignores them. Don't you love it when Jesus ignores you? I'm real thankful that I don't like it when he ignores me, but sometimes I'm like, man, you remember that prayer I prayed the other day? Thank you for ignoring me. You're so much smarter than I am. <laughs> he, he ignores them. And he says, no, I, I know people are pressing in around me. But this is special. Someone touched me intentionally. Someone touched me with faith. And I love how Jesus responds to her. He's never done it before, and he never did it after this. But he looks at her and he says, daughter. Daughter. Every distraction was healed right then when he acknowledged her as daughter. What he was saying to her, he was saying, daughter, you're worthy. You're never on the outside looking in. You're never at the back of the line when you're in my family. You're never in lack when you're in my family. There's not a distraction that can steal you from my family. Jesus said, I've kept the ones you gave me, and I desire for them to be with me where I am. There's a great burning, burning desire in the heart of Jesus for daughters and sons. Daughter. Daughter. Oh, and then he affirms her. Daughter, your, your faith He's rebuking the disciples. They're casting out demons with them, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000. And he's rebuking their faith. But he looks at this one little daughter. Whew. And says, daughter, 
My, my, my. Look at your faith. Affirms her. And then calms all her fear. And then says, I make all things new. How many of you need God to make some things new in your life? He's making all things new this morning. However, the story's not about her. Poor Jairus. Could I get some music, please? I'm acting like I'm closing. I'm really not closing. But if, I'll, but if Stephanie will come up here and make me sound real good, then you'll be like, oh my gosh, I wish you would just keep on preaching. I'm not even hungry anymore. Come on, Stephanie, put those anointed hands on those keys. Give me 20 more minutes, Stephanie. Stephanie's about to buy me 20 more minutes. I'm not even distracted by that saying I got five minutes. It's just playing. Because you see, when it flips on the negative side, it gets in red and all I think, well, man, that's the blood of Jesus just giving me more time. The blood of Jesus speaking a better word over our time this morning. No better way than to spend our time with the blood. Amen. Let me talk about that for a second. The blood of Jesus is speaking a better word than your distractions this morning. The blood of Jesus is speaking a better word than YouTube and Twitter and Instagram likes and invitations and your critics and your applause. The blood of Jesus is always the best voice to have in your company. Jairus. He's pushed back. Thousands of people. They've gathered around. And Jairus is like, my daughter, Jesus. Can you imagine the distractions that he started feeling? My, my daughter's dying. And you said you were coming. You said you were going to heal her. And and Jesus stops doing what he was doing. You ever been walking with Jesus and he just kind of seems to stop what he's doing? It's called the process. And, And nobody likes being there. But it's a holy place. It's a place where relationship is formed and where trust is cultivated and faith is launched out to move mountains and speak to mountains that have to move. And Jairus finds himself in this place where Jairus was at the front of the line. But now Jesus seems to be distracted and turns his attention to the woman that's not even in the script. And now Jairus is at the back of the line. Does it ever seem like that people just cut in line in front of you in life? And you're wondering, where, where, where are you, Jesus? Do you love their marriage more than my marriage? You love their kids more than my kids? And then to make matters worse, it's loud obnoxious 
not just in the presence, but in the mind of Jairus, voices screaming, she's gonna die. And you don't have his attention anymore. It's on this unclean woman. He forgot about you. And then the report comes. Hey, hey, Jairus, just, just leave the master alone, man. Why? Why should I leave him alone? Maybe he'll come. Maybe he'll still come. No. No, Jairus, listen to me. No, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And the distractions just keep coming, keep swimming, swinging, coming like arrows, lying and deceiving. Jairus, she's dead. There's, there's no use in troubling the master anymore. And Jairus sinks in. No! There's no way my, my baby's dead. He said he was coming. She cut in line. She, she got his focus. She got his attention. And the scripture says that when the lie came, Jesus overheard. In the midst of the worst moment of Charis's life, in the midst of the greatest distraction being thrown at the church, in our government, in our world, in society, in the culture, in the battle that we're in, Jesus overhears. And he looks at Jairus with 10,000 people all around. And he says, Jairus, ignore them. Just have faith. It's going to be okay. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do with your distraction is just simply ignore it. I love what Jesus does next. I just got a few more minutes. I love what Jesus does next because he brings everything back to relationship. Remember the crowd? Jesus dismisses the crowd. He removes the distraction of the crowd. But then when he gets into the inner circle, listen to this. Because sometimes our inner circles is where the distraction's coming from. There's been plenty of times in my life that I've had to remove people from my friends of circles and the influence they had in my life. Jesus goes in and he says, hold on. What's all this distraction? What's all this commotion? weeping and, and wailing and Jesus speaks the truth and he says she's not dead she's only sleeping he was saying there's hope Jesus always watches over his word to see that it's fulfilled if you have a promise 
If you have a dream, if you have a purpose and you do, know that the Spirit of the Lord this morning is watching over every seed. And the seed goes in the ground, the water will water it, and it shall come forth and will not lie, saith the Lord. The Bible says so. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laugh at him. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus shuts the door on distractions. It says that he pushes everyone out. And everyone leaves. And Jesus goes into the inner room. He didn't go to the living room and say, bring her to me. He said, I'm going where she is. And for the first time in the story, it was no longer Jairus. It was no longer the local synagogue leader, for the first time in the story, the writer says, Jesus took the father. He took the mother and he went into the room. Why? Because once again, he turned everything back to relationship and he was not gonna address him as Jairus. He was gonna address him in the most intimate most powerful form that he could in his relationship with his daughter. Jesus always brings it back to relationship. It's always face to face. Distractions are always removed in the presence of Jehovah. Can you stand with me this morning?